so God's going to speak to our hearts today, but we're going to talk about um, what it is to be an authentic, life-transforming community. An authentic, life-transforming community is a community that uh, preaches the good news. Our text um, says in Isaiah 61.6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, or upon me. And this is a, a text that Jesus quoted when he was beginning his uh, ministry. He started with this and, and he, took, he looked uh, for the scrolls and he found this passage in the scrolls when he's in the synagogue and he read this passage out and he said, Today, he says, this is fulfilled in your presence. He says, I'm, I'm now telling you I'm here. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on to the poor. Uh, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So our text tells us that um, the Spirit of the Lord is on us and that he has anointed us. Uh, Paul also uh, comments that uh, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Last week we had a look at that whole idea of being filled with the Spirit and we looked at that word in uh, Isaiah 5, uh, sorry, Ephesians uh, 5 verse 8 and it said that not to be drunk with wine wherein there is excess but to be filled with the Spirit. And we noted that we noted that um, it's in the uh, present passive imperative. When you're looking at Greek tenses, they have um, particular tenses for words to make you understand what those those words really mean. And so we have past, present, and future. They have a dozen of different tenses, and I think in the Philippines you have lots of tenses in the words. You, I think there's about eight, or, I think, different tenses in the different words. When we were, when we, Ben and I, when, and some of us were studying uh, Tagalog, we uh, that was part of the reason why I quit. My mind wasn't able to to grasp all of the tenses that were involved. So in the Greek, it's the same. He has present passive imperative. And so when we look at the word plero, which is the word filled, it means be being filled. So we are told to be being filled. And the passive part of it tells you that you are the one that's being filled, not me, me, you. We are all to be filled. And it's imperative. So it's not an invitation, but an absolute command. It's actually, we're required to have this in, uh, in our lives it's a requirement. So in Galatians chapter 5.25, we're told that if we live in the Spirit, let us also keep, uh, keep in step with the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. And in view of the fact, it says, Woos, that we are being sustained by spirit, in our spiritual life by the Spirit, by, all means, by the means of the Spirit, let us go on ordering our conduct. Now he tells us that that word ordering our conduct in the life of the Spirit is in the locative sense. Now this is all Greek and crazy to us, but it tells us something about what's meant by this. Because one of the things that I have a problem with is if you read something in the Scripture and you don't know what it actually means or you don't know how to put it into practice, it doesn't help you any bit. You can't, you can't actually do it. You, know, can you, you said be filled with the Spirit, uh, walk in the Spirit. How on earth, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit? And so um, in the Greek, it's clear to them they understand what it actually means. It says that it's in the locative sense, and that means it's sort of like charted like a dot in the middle of a circle. So if you take the circle as being the sphere or the circle of the Spirit, your life is to be the center of the Spirit. It's meant to be smack in the middle of the Spirit. It says there that the that your whole life is going to be uh, encircled with the Spirit and so be constantly conducting yourself in the sphere of the Spirit. So what does that actually mean? Well, it means that 
we're to determine every thought, every word, and every deed by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. So the psalmist knew that everything he said, everything he thought, everything he did, God could see. He recognized that God was omnipresent, omniscient, and all-powerful. And in his understanding of God, he understood that no matter where he was, no matter what he was thinking, no matter what he was doing, no matter what he was saying, God could see it all. And so he decided and determined that he didn't want to say, think or do anything that was not what God wanted him to say. So he made a prayer, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. It's the same way for us as we walk in the Spirit. We're to recognize that God, the Holy Spirit, is around us, He's in us, and we are to govern all of our mind, our thoughts, our, our speech, and our actions by what would be pleasing to Him. Now, it's, it's difficult because we think all the time. I mean, I'm thinking while I'm actually speaking and I'm, I'm processing a whole lot of, a lot of thoughts behind while I'm actually talking to you. So my mind is going faster than what my mouth is going. And you're able to think faster than what you hear me speak. So you're thinking a whole lot of things. Some of you might just run off and go do a daydream while I'm talking and then come back and you've gone to the beach and then you come back again. And so your mind is very active while I'm speaking. Now, what happens in life is because we are so active in our minds, we tend to run off and do lots of things with our heads while people are speaking or when we're at work. or when we, And we can run off into a fantasy world or we can run onto things that are not what God would want us to run into. We can, we can think anxious thoughts. We can think wrong thoughts. We can think thoughts that will take us down the wrong track. All of those things are the sort of things that he's talking about when he says, Lord, live in the Spirit. He's saying everything that you're going to think, everything that you're going to say, everything that you're going to do, before you think, say, or do anything, make sure that it's what God wants you to think, say, and do. That means when you wake up in the morning and you're just, you're just yawning, your wife's laying, or your husband's laying beside you and you're just aware of them and your mind is free to travel where it is, the birds are uh, chirping in the outside and you just start to think and your mind starts to think, that right there is the opportunity where you actually start saying, well, Jesus, you're here with me right now in my conscious thoughts. I'm here. I want to make sure all of my thoughts now are according to what you want me to do. And just right then when you've said that, in crawls a little idea that reminds you of something that somebody said yesterday that offended you. It just came back, crawled into your head and started to say, you know that person who said this about you? And right away you're at the point where you need to say, is that a thought that I would necessarily want to think if Jesus was here with me right now? Does the Holy Spirit want me to think that thought right now? Does the Holy Spirit want me to meditate on that right now? Right now I have a choice to bring my mind into subjection to the Spirit of God. Right then. And that's what he's saying in this place. He's saying that everything that you're going to say, everything that you're going to do, it has to be governed by the Holy Spirit. So that an attitude of entire dependence on the Holy Spirit is there within your life so that you live in that place of the Spirit continuously. You know, if you did that in a continuous way, I doubt whether you would ever sin again. Think about that. If you did that in a continuous way, you lived in that state where you said, Jesus, are you happy with what I'm thinking? Are you happy with what I'm feeling? Are you happy with what I'm saying? Are you happy with what I'm doing? If you're not happy with what I'm thinking, saying and doing, help me to change it. If you change it at the point of thought, you would never sin. 
You can see what John was saying when he says, and this is that, that the believers, they will not sin because the seed of God remains in them. He's talking about the spirit of God living in our hearts, living in our minds, so much so that we're fellowshipping with, communing with him on a daily basis, so whereby we're not going to be tempted by anything. The temptation comes to our mind and says, would you like a little bit of this, please? And immediately we recognize because the Holy Spirit within us and the conscience testifies that there's something going wrong there. The conscience goes, ah, ah, there's something going on. Immediately we start saying, Holy Spirit, you know, you're with me right now. And I figure you don't like this because my spirit is disturbed. My conscience is saying it's not good. Help me now. I'm just going to put that off now. I'm going to put some new thoughts in there. Now that's, boy, that's consuming, Mark. I mean, if everybody lived like that, then yeah, granted you'd never sin anymore. But boy, how would you get through life? How would you cope with life? Well, pretty well, I think. Better than you do if you just watch TV and let the devil fill your head with all the rubbish. If you let people who hurt you and offend you fill your mind with all the angry thoughts and thoughts of unforgiveness and thoughts of pain and agony and stuff, a whole lot better than that. Give it a try. Have you been doing it this week as we've been talking? Have, have, Have you actually thought from last week, my life has not been governed by the fullness of the Holy Spirit as he has intended it to be. I have not been living in the bubble. I have not been letting the whole of all of my thoughts and my emotions and my actions be governed by the Holy Spirit. I have pulled God in at different times, but I have not been conscious that I am a dot in the middle of him. We need to get to that place where we let the Holy Spirit really change us, really conform our lives to his image. That's what God has intended us to do. He doesn't want to be out there at the distant place waiting for us to talk to him when we've fallen into a heap somewhere. He wants to be in the center, in the core of us, directing our steps, directing our emotions, directing our thoughts so that we can be useful for him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we, we read these things. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the Lord, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that God has freely given to us by God. He wants to live in us, and He wants to control us, and He wants us to be full of Him, so that as we walk in God, He's able to instruct us and guide us and teach us and lead us and, 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 and take us to where He wants us to be so that we can be useful for Him, so that we can do something. He wants to show us so many things. He doesn't want to be left in the corner until you, oh, that's right, I should pray today, hey. Oh, that's right, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be doing this. No, no, he wants to be in the center of our lives and all around everything that we do. That's where he wants us to be. So the empowering and the communion with the Spirit of, has a purpose. And this is what our text says here. It says, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news or good tidings unto the meek. That's what it was said about Jesus. We know that Jesus was anointed to preach good news and tidings to the, to the, to the meek, to the poor. But we also know that it has an application for us because the scripture actually tells us that in the same way that Jesus was anointed, we also have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The anointing, this is what the anointing is, is to smear ointment or to spread a liquid. Now, the, now, I have a little bottle of oil that I, when you come up for prayer, the, the James says you anoint with oil, pray, the, elder, the prayer of the elders will, will heal the sick, 
and that they shall recover. And so we've got a little oil bottle here. Now, this is, I didn't get this from a freaky shop where you could actually buy freaky oil, you know. It's just grapeseed oil. That's all it is. It's nothing special from I didn't buy it from Israel, and it hasn't been anointed by a thousand rabbis, you know, and, and sort of magical, you know. There's nothing in the oil. It's just oil. It's not magic. Well, why do, we, why do I put it on your head? Well, the Scripture says to anoint with oil. Well, why do we do that? Well, just because the Scripture says to, it's symbolic of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. In that he wants to touch you. He wants to smear himself all over you in the sense of heal your body and make it well. He said, anoint with oil. So we take the oil and we anoint with oil. That's what we do. We just do it because he said to do it. But there's nothing in that. There's nothing in that that's magical. Whether I anoint you with oil or not, it's not going to make any difference. We just do it because the scripture says to. It also means to consecrate. Now, the word consecrate means to set aside. The origin of the word anointing with oil actually founded in Psalm 23, verse 5. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me in pastures. So it's all about the shepherd, the Lord Jesus being our shepherd, or God being our shepherd. And it gets to verse 5, he said, He anoints my head with oil. So the shepherd used to actually pour oil on the head of the sheep. He used to actually pour it on like that, you know. And why did he pour it on the head of the sheep? Well, see, lice and bugs would climb into the hair and the fur or the wool of the, the sheep and climb into their ears and would burrow into their ears. And as they would go into the ears, that actually kill the sheep. So it was like a medicinal thing. It was like a, a thing to safeguard and protect the, uh, the, the thing. So he would pour the oil all over the sheep's heads and he would actually cause the oil to smother anything that was actually uh, going to crawl up into their ears. So it would be protection. Now you think about that. You know, if you can remember, Grandma used to say, you got a bug in your ear? What would she put in your ear if you got a bug in your ear? What would she pour in there? Oil. Why would she pour oil in your ear when you got a bug in your ear? Because the oil would smother the bug. It would kill the bug and then you could eat you know, you could wash the oil out. That's why they did it. You didn't want the bug burrowing into your ear. And we don't want things that are from Satan burrowing into our ear and telling us the wrong thing. So we have received an anointing. We have received an anointing of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us all things so that we know the truth, so that we don't have to be. There's a, the, the, point, the word for anoint here is the word, in the Greek is the word creo. It's to anoint, to consecrate. Jesus uh, was consecrated to the messianic office that's why he says the spirit of the lord has anointed me to preach the and he says we as christians are anointed also it's used five times in the new testament and four times it talks about jesus and one time it talks about the anointing of all believers so it means to consecrate or being consecrated dedicated to a sacred purpose set apart for the work of god so once you've received the anointing of oil the anointing of the holy spirit You've been set apart. It was sort of like um, a seal of ownership. And everybody who's received the anointing of the Holy Spirit is owned by God. And everybody who's received the anointing of the Spirit has a job to do. There's a universality about being involved in the church of God, which implies that every one of us has a task to do, no matter where we are, no matter what, what, what we're doing. I mean, we're all called of God. We're all set apart for God. The... Uh, the passage of Scripture in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 tells us that we are to go into all the world and to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. There's the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Everyone 
has to fulfill this. This is not just for the guys who preach or just for the women who have a different ministry. It's for everybody. Everybody has to do this. Now, how do you actually effectively do that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, it says, now, this is, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. There's that word anointed for everybody. Everybody's been anointed. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So this whole idea of setting apart is like when you become saved, or when you ask Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit then baptizes you into the church and he anoints your life. He puts his seal of ownership on you, puts a mark on you. In the old days, they, um, when you'd go to a, a, a Greek place and you're, you, you're in a market and you were buying a sack of grain, they'd actually say, you want that sack of grain? They'd say, yeah, I want that sack of grain. What they'd do is they'd pour wax onto the grain, the sack of grain, and then they'd put a seal on it. And the seal on the sack of grain would tell you that that sack of grain belongs to you. You'd press your seal in there. Now, you didn't have to go and take that anywhere. As long as that seal was on that, that, that sack was yours. Another word for the seal was an arab on it, and it means an engagement ring. It's like a pledge. It's like you'd give your wife an engagement ring. You're betrothed now. It's as good as married, you know. She belongs to you. You belong to her. You've got an engagement ring. There's a seal that she's committed her life, betrothed herself to you. That's the engagement ring, the arab on. This is the same idea. It's the idea of ownership. We are all owned by God. If we're owned by God, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. If we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we've got a task to do. Everybody's got a task to do here. There's something that God wants us to do. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, 2, verse 9 to 12, we read these words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I want you to see the connection between belonging to God and doing something for God. Notice that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And then it doesn't just stop there and say, aren't you lucky, folk? You know, you're just so blessed. God, you're chosen by God. He doesn't actually stop there. He actually continues on. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And he goes on and says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. He's actually taken you out of the world. You're no longer Australian. You're no longer Lebanese. You're no longer Filipino. You're no longer uh, South African. You're no longer anything. You are born again believers. You're heavenlanders. That's who you are. He's taking you out of this world. Now you're aliens to this place. You belong to heaven. Your home is somewhere else. You're just passing through this time. You've got a seal on your life that you belong to somebody else. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You belong to him and you ought to be doing something different now. You're aliens and strangers in this land. And he says, abstain from sinful desires. That's the first thing that you're going to be doing that's different. When everybody else is saying, oh, let's get down and party, you're going to be saying, you know what? I don't feel that that's what I want to be doing right now. Right now, my spirit is not feeling comfortable about that. Right now, my conscience is saying, you know, I ought not take that drink. Right now, my conscience is saying, I ought not think that thought. Right now, my conscience is saying, I ought not feel those emotions are raging. Right now, my conscience is saying, you know, you don't want to be doing that because you're a believer. You're out of this world person. You know, you ought to be doing what this world is doing. And so, you know, 
I'm going to live in the Spirit now. I'm going to refrain from that. I'm going to refrain from those sinful desires which war against my soul. So as a believer, you'd probably say, you know, they may go down to the coast and they may rage on for schoolies week. But you know what? I don't think there's anything positive to do there. They may get so excited and they're ah, screaming and yelling and carrying on and, 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 you know, and jumping off buildings and diving into concrete floors you know, and killing themselves and getting pregnant and getting raped and all the other. You know, you know what? That's not what I'm going to be doing because I'm going to abstain from that. And why? Because I'm different. I've been called. I've been marked. I've been marked with a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. I've been anointed by God. I've been, his seal of ownership is on my life. I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, if you're, okay, you're all a temple and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He says, you're not your own. You can't even, you don't even, you don't even belong to yourself anymore. You belong to him. And he says, you know, so honor God, glorify God with your body. This verse tells us that we to live such good lives among the pagans so that they can accuse you of doing wrong. And they do. I mean, if you live in a good life, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get accused. You can be doing all the right things in all the right places. It does not mean that you're not going to be despitefully abused and spoken against and, and, and maligned and, and slandered. It does not mean that you're going to escape false accusation. You can do all the right things and still get hit with it. But even if they hit you with it, you know, in the end of the exercise, it says, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, keep your conduct as befitting of those who are governed by the Holy Spirit, who live in the Holy Spirit, who let the Holy Spirit change their thoughts, let the Holy Spirit change their emotion, let the Holy Spirit change the way they behave. They are marked because they come from a different place. We come from God's place. We're his people. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit's empowering anointing is what we sang today in, in, in that song that um, Alan introduced. It's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. <laughs> I like that. Samaria. <laughs> well, that must be the accent of the um, Samaria. Yeah. And to the ends of the world, you know, the purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit was the empowerment of every believer to be a witness to the, to the work of God. It was, that was the point. You received an anointing. You've been commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you, you live in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. You govern your whole life. Why? So he wants you to do something. So he says, what is it we're going to do? He says, you're going to preach good tidings. The word preach means to bear news, to bear tidings, to publish, to preach, to show forth. Now, I know straight away you're going to say to me, you know, you're the preacher, I'm the listener. You're going to tell me preaching is what some people do, a few people do, and most people just listen to the preaching. If everybody was the preacher, what the problem we'd have? Yeah, well, we've got a problem because everybody's a preacher, Okay. Not everybody preaches, but everybody bears tidings. 
Not everybody has to stand up here and waffle on like me or stand on the street and bark like um, Graham. You don't have to do that. I mean, you, but you have to bear tidings. Everything in your life and everything that you do, your life will show forth the, bre- the, 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 uh, the, good for- the good news. To show forth doesn't mean you have to speak it, but you have to live it at least. And if living it is what you're going to be doing, well, you're going to show forth, you're going to be a light in a dark place. It says to announce good news. Now, what I want to do is I want you to consider your method. And to do that, we're going to actually have a little bit of a discussion. I've got two mics here, and I'm going to just ask you to talk to us in this process. I'm going to get a couple of people to help me here. Um, so, oh, there's uh, Liz. To turn that, this button there on, and um, thanks, Ben. I can see you're just getting yourself ready for that. Now, your rules of conduct in talking in the mic, don't click it with your ring. and you know, Don't put your ring on it and go click, 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 and wait for me to acknowledge that you're there. But okay, what do the words bear, publish, preach, show forth, announce to glad and communicate to you about your method? Now, we're talking about method now. We're talking about the way you do what you do, your process. We're not talking about who's actually doing it. We know that you're actually going to do it. But what do those words tell you about the way you're going to do what you're going to do? What does that speak to you about? Okay. I'm going to stand here until somebody puts their hand up and say something. Look at those words. What do the words to bear, publish, preach, show forth, announce to glad and communicate to you about your method? Okay, Linda. And then um, Heather. It was coming. It was coming. They're active rather than reactive. It's going forth and doing the action as opposed to waiting for somebody coming to you. Wow, that is so profound. You're, you're active rather than reactive. You know, most of us, you know, if they see it, then I'll say something about it. You know, like I'll, but I'll keep it under the bushel until actually it's obvious. And if it's obvious, then I'll actually talk about it. But you're saying that's active. It's actually active to go and bear, and it's actually taking it out there. It's actually, you know, getting out from underneath the, the bushel and saying, you know what? I've got something I'd like to actually show you. I've got something. It's being active, not reactive. Yeah. When I see the word publish, I think of a newspaper. So it's telling us all the news that's happening. So we should be telling them the news that's happening um, with the Lord and, and how he has come to save them. And died for them. So, so here we have this idea, and I think if you're saying it correctly, it's, it's this idea of current events. Newspapers to publish current events is to actually tell you what's going as you're going along during the day. You know, so every time you you click on, and I saw this ridiculous article today uh, as I turned the news on, and I was just is a and a woman here. She is publishing the idea that infidelity in marriage is is the is the cure to an unhappy marriage, infidelity. Get a good arrangement with your spouse whereby you can both mess around together and you'll have a happy long life together. Oh, she's about 40 years old, doesn't understand that that's not the, the formula for marriage, it's the formula for the destruction of a marriage. But she's actually publishing it out there. She's putting it out there. That's her publishing, her bearing tidings, bringing good tidings to you. Know, we're going to get all these soggy brain people now going to read that article and they're going to pick up that article and they're going to say, you know what, you know, we ought to do this, love. We ought to just have this little agreement by you can have it and I can have a bit on the side and we'll all be happy in marriage with our freedom. Soggy news, soggy brains. What you're saying is we've got to somehow stand up now and publicise that that's not correct, that's not true. 
And so we should do something about that. In our common day, we would read an article like that, and I've read an article like that, and I'd make a comment. I'd make a statement. That's the, that's the silliest advice I've ever heard for a long, long time. Because the test, statistics show us that that sort of nonsense actually destroys marriages. Hugely. So that's what we do. Publish. Anybody else? What does this mean to you? Yeah. Shireen. To me, it's about um, what I'm going through in my life and where I'm at and what I believe in. So you're going through some pretty deep waters. And as you're going through the deep waters, you're hanging in there for Jesus. And Jesus is being a strength to you. And he's providing for you in every face, in every situation that you're going through. As you're going through that, you're publishing and you're preaching and you're showing forth the attitude that Jesus wants you to have, the emotions that Jesus wants you to have, and the behavior that Jesus wants you to have to show forth his control and his glory in your life. That's exactly what it's talking about. You don't have to stand up on the corner of the street and say, Oh, listen to me, I've got something to tell you. You just have to leave it out in front of them and show them what it's like to be a believer and go through a deep time. Good. Okay. Well, let's consider the message. We're told now that the message is what we have to speak is good tidings we're to bring. Okay, so what's so important about taking this message out? What is it, good tidings? What's good tidings? Graham's going to tell us what good tidings is. It's, it's the reason we get out there and preach on the box is that we need to show them what God has done, why he's done it, and how he's accomplished it and what our part is in that. So the good tidings is the fact that our sins can be forgiven, our lives can be turned around, and there is hope. Okay, so that's good tidings. Anybody else? Taking the message of God that God can change your life, that if you're busted and broken and if you've made mistakes, you can, you, God will fix you up, he'll forgive you, and he can set you on a new path. Yeah. What's the good tidings? Oh, darling. It'll come, come back. back It'll come back, come back again. Kath. Kath's got some. D- uh, ben. Kath. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the good tidings is just letting the people out there know that there is a hope and a future. The, the ones that we meet out on the street, a lot of them have just come out of prison. They've got HIV, they're drug addicts, they're alcoholics. Their lives are a mess. They're broken. And they're, they are looking for something. They are looking. They've got nowhere to go. They're rock bottom. And they want, well, a lot of them want to change. It's hard for them, but they're wanting to, to know of the hope and the good news. And we've got it. And you just have to just break out there and give it to them and, and pray for them. And, yeah, the good, the good tidings is there's a hope for them. They're not that low that, there's, that they can't turn around. So there's a future, there's a hope, yeah. there's some good news for them. Anybody else? Uh, okay. Um, Krista, this over here, Ben. You're being run now, Ben. This is good exercise. <laughs> Krista. I was just going to say that the good tidings is that you can come as you are and not a lot of people are thinking, no, I'm too bad, I'm too dirty, I need to change first and then Jesus will accept me. But Jesus will accept you and then he'll change you. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. When you see good tidings, you know that the tidings has to something to do with the message or the news. 
but the idea that it's good is a, is a kind of a double whammy. It's good as in it's, it's, it's great news, great news, but it's also good as in it's, it's morally intrinsically good. You understand what I'm saying when I say it's immorally intrinsically good? It's not just glad tidings, it's morally good tidings. You know, the bustedness that's in our world today usually has come from the fact that men and women have broken the, the laws of God, have gone their own way, have thrown their th- thumbs at God and said, you know what, I'll do what I want to do. I'm not going to be governed by uh, the law of my conscience and, and, and not do these things. Like this woman who's advertising that you should actually have an affair and that's why have a, you know, they've gone that way, they've discovered that it doesn't work, they've now got a broken life, they've got a broken relationship, they've got a broken heart and they've come and said that was the wrong thing to do and they just come and they say, what was the good thing to do the good thing would to do would be to maintain fidelity and to set boundaries of fidelity around your life make sure your mind is kept in the place where God wants you to keep it and your thoughts kept in the place where God wants you and your emotions kept in the place where God wants them and your life footstep kept in the place where God that would have been the good news the good news is there an alternative to the wrong side so I mean there's two sets of actions two sets of courses that you can take there's a bad set of courses a bad set of choices a bad Uh, lifestyle or there's a good lifestyle I mean Jesus came and he preached good news he wasn't just preaching not Jesus I'm going to die on the cross for you and forgive for your bad way of life I mean he gave us an alternative he said there is a different way of living you know you can have a different way of thinking all of them in Matthew chapter 5 the Beatitudes that he's, he's talking about a different way of values he's saying you know blessed are the poor they're all different values and he says those different values will guide you differently it's good news. It's good news if your life is smashed. It's great news if you've... Look, if I go to build something and I don't have a plan and I don't have an idea and I start to build something, some of you might know what this is like, and you start to do a job and you haven't got the skills to do a job properly and you end up and the job is, is terrible. It doesn't, you thought it was going to be easy, but there are certain tricks to the trade and you don't know those tricks. And what the end of the product looks like is nothing like what you wanted it to look like. You thought you were going to get it and you're going to do it well, but you, you messed up. You know, I think, Mark, can you come and fix up the problem? You know, the tiles aren't exactly what I wanted them to look like. We, had, we went to one job and the guy had done some tiling and he thought that it was tiling was going to be easy. And we had a look and we just thought, oh, my good night. I mean, he didn't even have the tile cutter to cut a tile. You know, he'd break it off with this teeth type of thing, you know. He w- wants you to come in and fix it now. We're like that in our lives. We're like that in our lives. We, we, we think, well, we'll do life without God. We'll, we'll do life without the expert. We'll do life without the master builder. We'll do life and we'll, we'll get it all together. And then we, we look at it and stand back and say, I did that. And they think, you did. I know. It did. Look at it. It's horrible. It's going to fall down. Well, well what's the good news? The good news is the master builder will come alongside and say, you know, we'll pull that down. Hey, let's just start again. Hey, we'll, we'll teach you how to do it well. That's the good news, that there's an alternative. Well, let's consider to whom we're sent now. Consider to whom we are sent. We're sent to the meek, the poor, the humble, the afflicted, the needy, the weak, the lowly, the meek. Okay, what does all this mean? Consider this in your society. Okay. Who are in your society, in Brisbane today, on the north side, on the south side, on the Gold Coast, wherever you come from, consider in your life, in your circle of people, who are the poor, the humble, the afflicted, the needy, the weak, the lowly, and who are not? And why is it hard to get through to some? Let's have a talk about that. Let's consider now the people that we've got to take the good message to. Not just Jesus has died on the cross, that's part of it, but there's a different way of life. Who are these ones? 
Okay. Um, I think everyone is those ones because everyone has something that they're lacking and they may not be meek necessarily but they might be very poor in their relationships and not have any family or they might be very proud but they might be very weak at the same time. So it depends on like what eyes you see that through. So what I think you're saying is you know, everybody that's broken or everybody that doesn't have God in their life is really broken. It, whether they know it or not, they're busted. Yeah. Okay, so that's good. Everybody's the same. Okay, um, where is it? Ruth, is that, have you got it? That was for the last one you missed. Oh, okay. There was some. Um, okay. Just, just following on from that idea that, um, that Megan spoke about, that everyone is poor, humble, afflicted, needy, weak, lowly and meek, even if they don't know it. Um, I know for me, and, but it also goes on to the, the last question, why is it so hard to get through to some? I think it's hard to get through to some when they don't know it the ones that don't understand, like my family, for example, and like me before I was saved, um, didn't understand that I had that need of God, didn't understand that I was broken, lost, heading for hell, um, didn't understand that need in my life. Um, and my family's the same. They're, they're sort of self-made, self... It's all about self. Um, and don't... You know, like, they, they do okay in the, um, in the eyes of the world... They're successful in the eyes of the world, but um, without God, we're all needy um, and we're all hellbound. So we're all we all have that need, but it's hard to get through to some because they don't know that they need God. They don't know that they're broken, busted, and hellbound. So it's like what Megan said. You know, everybody is broken. Everybody has a state where they are broken before God, whether they accept it or not. Um, you notice that he actually doesn't say, you know, take this message to the rich. Have you ever thought why he never said that? Why did he say the meek or the poor? Why he said to the humble and not to the proud? Why he said to the needy and not to the well-off? Why do you think he articulated to the weak and not to the strong? Why did he say to the lowly and not to the high-minded? You, know, you need to ask yourself the question. You know, you can spend a lot of time talking to somebody who doesn't know that they're in a state of need. And you can waste your breath there a long time. Jesus said, and, and he, he, he doesn't say very often, but he gives open invitations sometimes. And this is an invitation from Jesus. He says, come. Like, you can't come unless he calls you, okay? No man can go and just say, well, I'll have God now. You can only come to God when he calls you. You, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So you don't even get an option to go to God unless God first has a desire to actually invite you to come. So I look and say, okay, God, you're going to invite me to come. If you don't invite me to come, I can't come to you. Hi, guys. It sounded lovely. So you can't even come to God unless you get an invitation from God. I, I just, you know, the, this whole idea, look, I'm having a great time now in life. I haven't finished with my sin. I want to eat up my sin. And when I'm finished with my sin, you know, just before I die, I think I'll just turn to God and say, God, can you save me? Then I'll have 
steak on the plate while I wait and pie in the sky when I die. You know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hang out there for Jesus to give me eternal life at the end after I finish my sinning. You know, you're, you're a fool because you can't come to God like that. You're not born of man's will. You're not born as a decision, the Bible says in, in John uh, 1 verse 12. That you can make a decision like born of man. You can choose when you come to God. You're born of God. So when God calls you and God asks you and God invites you to come, that's when you ought to respond to him because, you know, and then when he says, come unto me, he's actually sending an invitation. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you'll find rest. You know, some of us don't find that place of our need until we get to a place where we are poor, until we are humble, until we are afflicted, until we are needy, until we are weak, until we are low. It takes that long for us to actually recognize that we can hear God say, you know, I've stuffed my life up so badly. I'm so busted. I'm so broken. I think the next thing for me is to drop into hell because I feel so rotten. And then somebody turns to you, this is a solution. And you think, oh, there's a hope. You think about your life. I, mean, I see Mike, I see you sitting there, and this is exactly what God did to you. This is exactly the path that Jesus took you down. You weren't listening. You weren't listening to what God did until, he, until you were broken down, until you're at the end of yourself, until you're at the total point of despair. And then in that place of despair, he said, Come to me. Amen. Come to me. Amen. And he was listening. You see, there's something about what God does in individuals' lives. And that's why you're there anointed by the Holy Spirit with the good tidings. Because he's going to bring you in front of people who are smashed to bits. He doesn't say, you know, if you can get that millionaire to join your church, that would be a great thing because you'd have lots of money and you'd have lots of pride because you've got the big boys of town in your congregation. Some of us think that's the way we've got to do it, get church, you know. Get out there and get a healthy, wealthy, top of class rank into the church, make it look like it's in, put a flash place up, make everybody look like it's socially cool to be there and we'll get church growth. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Can you hear me? That's all right. That's okay. If it's stopped there, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you something. God is not interested in the position that man has in society. He's interested in the position your heart has before him. And sometimes he's going to bring you to a place where you end in yourself. Most times. Where you reach the end of yourself. And a rich man's able to reach the end of himself. He can have all the money in the world and he can understand it's not going to bring him happiness. And he can reach the depths of despair even though he's got wealth. And then in his despair, while he's got wealth, he can turn to Jesus. But he's reached the place of poor, humble, brokenness, even though he's got wealth. It's the place of your heart. And Jesus is actually saying, you know, this is your audience. Go to your audience. Find the ones that are poor, are humble, afflicted, needy, weak and lowly. Go to them. Reach them. That's what he's saying. Anybody else? Francisco. And then Ruth. Yeah. Um, I'll start backwards. Why is it hard to get through to some people? Um, for people who are, are well off, it's, uh, it's all about planting the seed. 
And I, I learned this a long time ago, is to have a presence that remains presence after we're gone. And that's when we realize that that presence that will remain is the Holy Spirit uh, working when we plant a seed. Uh, one of my last pastors back in Sydney, uh, all he needed, uh, he was a neurosurgeon, um, almost reaching 60 years old, his life a mess. And um, one of his fellow um, surgeons just gave him a little leaflet and said, Jesus, love you. I don't know why you're drinking too much, but that's all he read. Became a Christian, sold his clinic, went to America, became a preacher. His three sons are now ministers. They're all ministers. Uh, and that all it took because um, that little presence of his friend remained through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and for us, I think, is to realize that... Um, he will bring us to those places to pour humble. He will humble us through different situations where we think his heart is just go to sound uh, 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. He's got a purpose in it. And we're not holy moly, as we'll say. We will um, be tempted and, and sinners until we get to heaven. But we shouldn't let that stop us from, you know, uh, showing people um, why he's done, you know, for us. Yeah, amen. And that's so, I mean, that's, it's so powerful what you just said in terms of, the, it's just the average person that's going into the situation with something of the living God with them, with, with a sense that God is leading them and directing them, following the unction, remember living in the center of the sphere of the Holy Spirit. So you're, you're the friend of your surgeon, neurosurgeon, he feels this prompting by the Holy Spirit to give him a tract and to say words to him like, Jesus loves you. I don't know why you're drinking so much, but Jesus, he's a tract. He prompted by the Holy Spirit to reach out to a man who is broken down, even though he's successful, is broken down on the inside. And that work of the Holy Spirit is enough for that anointing to rest on that man when you've gone and to God begin to speak to him and teach him. And remember, the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And so you walk out, the Holy Spirit's now convicting of sin, of judgment and righteousness, and converts this neurosurgeon to the Lord. That's exactly what this is about. But it takes an individual who's living in the sphere of the Spirit to hear the voice of the Spirit, to take something very simple and say some very simple words and just to proclaim the good tidings so that that can flow on. You know, we, we are called to this. We often think that this sort of ministry is just for those who have some sense of spiritualness about their lives. You know, God takes us all through some very deep waters. I was just reflecting the other day, at, at, at walking around my garden, and just look, I, I, I walk around my garden, and I, I meditate, and I think about what God has done in my life, and the things that I've gone through, and I think about my friends and the things that they've gone through. And I, and I think about what it's like to be a Christian. And some people say, you know what, I wouldn't want to be a Christian like you, Mark, because of the stuff that you go through. And I think, well, we all go through this stuff. It's not just, it's not just me. Every one of us has to face this, this stuff. And why does God allow us to go through this stuff? I, you know, I, I really believe there's a reason. That our troubles and our hardships have no, are not for no reason at all. That we can comfort with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted with. You know, as we are broken down and, and ground under this, this, uh, this, this life in this world and ground to a pace, out of our lives comes this cry for God to help us. 
God help us. We are ground to nothing. If it's not you, we cannot stand. If it's not your strength, I have no strength. If it's not your health, I have no strength. If it's not your way, I have no direction in my life. God help me. I'm lost without you. And out of that cry for God to make himself real in our lives because we've been ground to a paste. Out of that comes this shine of his presence within us. Our complete dependency on him now starts to shine in our lives. And those who are being ground by the devil and by the way the things are in the world look at our lives and they say, what is it about your life? And now we've been anointed by God to speak, to proclaim, to show forth the thing that Jesus has done in our lives. We go through that so that we are relatable. You know, Jesus went through that stuff. You think about the words he said. He was touched by the feelings of our inf- He carried our infirmities and he was touched by this. He walked around carrying it in his body so he could relate to us what we were going through. So he'd understand what it's like to be human. He was human. He felt the pains and the sufferings. And he understands and he meets you where you are. He strengthens you where you are. Then he equips you where you are to help you to go and be what you're meant to be in the world where you live. Now you'll have a look at this. Look at what this verse says. And, and this, is, this is a verse I want to just bring to your attention while we're closing. We all have a job to do. This is what Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16 says. For he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So what we have here is a statement that says, you know, the Holy Spirit has given to the church certain gifts, ministry gifts. The apostles are those who get out and start new churches. When we first started this church, it was almost like an apostle thing, you know, moving out, just trying to do something where we hadn't been before and starting a new church. Prophets are people who speak for God. Evangelists are those who get out on the street and do street preaching like Cheryl and, 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 um, and uh, Graham. Would you be evangelists? They get out and preach the word of God. Some to be pastors, that's the pastoral side. Liz does pastoral work amongst you. She'll sit and listen to your problems and care for you. And, and I'll do pastoral work with you too. Probably Liz is more of a pastor than I am. The teachers, those who break down the word, you know, Liz has a teaching gift. And I have a teaching gift. We teach you from the word of God. That's what we do. Um, well, why are these gifts placed in the church? Well, well, because they're the gifts that they should be doing and you just sit and spectate and watch. No, that's not what the scripture actually tells us. Remember, you have received an anointing and the Holy Spirit is on your life. You've been marked, you're his possession, and you are to now preach the good news. You're to proclaim it, you're to show it forth. These gifts given to the church are to equip you, the saints, that's who you are, the saints, for works of ministry. The ones who do the work are the ones who are in the... You are the workers. You're the workers. We are equipping the workers to the edify the body so that the body may be, of Christ may be built up till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now, what is, lots and lots of words, but what he's actually saying is, where do I actually equip you so that you get out and do work, so that we all grow up and be strong and mature. Amen. So that we all become like Jesus. 
so that we all look like Jesus in our workplace, in our, in our bus when we're going to, to, to work or going to school, when in our school, when in a classroom, when we're talking to the kids at school, when they're telling you one thing, you're mature. You're not going to be blown around by every winter doctrine. So it's because your mate comes and says to you, you know, we could go, and, we could go down to the shop and we can, you go and do this distraction over here and I'll nick a lock of chocolate bars in the back and put them in my pocket. We'll walk out and we'll have a chocolate feast over there. You know, you think there, you know, what's that? That's uh, the breach of... of uh, Commandment 8, thou shalt not steal. Definitely not a thing that I, as a Christian, would want to be doing or be, be you know, being involved with there. So, you know, you're actually going to actually not get blown around by this sort of nonsense. You're going to stand up and you're going to say, hey, listen, you know, that's not a really good thing to do. You're going to be a voice in a dark place. They might reject you. They might spit at you. They might call you a whole lots of things. But a guy who just got sentenced... Uh, well, a couple of guys who got sentenced for an axe murder in the Bangalore forest. Did you read that in the paper? Yeah. One was Ivan Millet's nephew or something. Decided he'd be like his uncle. Kidnapped a 17-year-old kid. Was their mate, I think. Took him into the jungle, into the forest, with an axe, and bludgeoned him to death. 17. Just for the adrenaline rush. To have fun. So as they're driving there, they're with this guy and this guy who's sitting in the seat with them. He's saying, you guys are crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. This is rubbish. You shouldn't be doing this. So they start to put him down and they start to give him heaps, you know. You know what he does? He gets out of the car and he goes straight. When they stop, he runs, finds a phone and he rings the police. Why? Because he's got a conscience. There's a right and a wrong. And he needs to make a stand. Now he gets ridiculed, but the other guys go into jail for the rest of their lives. And some guy pleads for his life and gets axed to death. Where did this happen? Just last year. Now look, you're in a life, you're living your life in a, in a community that has com- completely lost all moral boundaries. It's lost all moral compass. It will say to you through your faces of your friends and the people that you meet, it will tell you the most humongous things to do which are not right. You've got a choice in this matter. You can be strong and be a light and be rejected for it or you can just be tossed to and fro by every wind of rubbish that comes your way. You have to make a choice. You've received a mark on your life. The mark is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought with a price for a purpose to actually make the name of Jesus known and the good tidings of Jesus. So you should speak the word. So you don't get tossed around by sort of stuff. Listen to what he says. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. He says, to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of self and love. You know, every part has to do its share. You have been brought into the church of God by the Holy Spirit. He baptized you and brought you into the... When you gave your heart, you were baptized into the body of Christ. That's what he did. The Holy Spirit brought you into the church. He put his seal upon you, the Holy Spirit. 
So you're now filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit continuously, to walk with every thought, every emotion, every action under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's an imperative command. You're told to do that. He says, for the very purpose that you would be a light shining in a dark place. Not just one of us, all of us. All of us. For Jenny, when she's at, 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 with, with the special needs kids, she's, oh, I'm the pastor's wife. I don't need to do anything. I just need to help him. No, 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 no. God will bring her into a situation where she has to shine a light. No, it doesn't matter where we are or who we are. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose, to preach the good tidings. Our lives are active, not passive. They're going out and taking it out and not reactive. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to think about that. If we're part of a life-transforming community, what God has actually done in our lives is he's brought us to a place where we can connect together to achieve something wonderful in him. If you thought about the extent of how many roads that this fellowship has in terms of the community, you'd be amazed. How many other people can you touch that need to be touched in your life? If you take Ben, Ben lives in his home circle. He, he lives as a police officer in a certain arrangement of things. He already knows that the touch of God, can, can, he can lead people to the Lord. He led uh, this lady here to the Lord. She was the cleaner in his office. And she was upset. Things were not going well for him. So he shared his faith with this woman. She came to church. How many years ago now? Long time. Long time. A very long time. You were young then. <laughs> as young as me. She's the same age. 57 was a good year. Hey. But you gave your heart to Jesus. Well, that was a light shining in a dark place. Leaving in a, and you went into your dark place and you shone your light. And he's sitting beside you. Here, This man came to a park one day. You know, busted, you know, broken. Didn't know what Jesus was going to do in his life, you know. He came to a park. I remember when you came to church and you just prayed one prayer, Jesus help me. Simple prayer. Simple prayer and Jesus helped you right where you were. Well, that, what's that effect? It's a flow on effect. It says, I recognize what I'm meant to be doing. I'm going to shine my light. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm going to shine my light. I'm going to live in the sphere of the spirit and make myself known as being who I am and do what God wants me to do. I'm going to shine for Jesus because that's who I am. That's my identity now. And in the shining, Jesus will take the shining and he will place his seed in other people's life. He will convict them of sin, of judgment, of righteousness, and he can bring them in. You know, when you forget who you are and whose you are, you lose your purpose in life. You have been anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the good news. That's why he's on you. That's why he's chosen you. That's why you bear his name. That's why you've got his mark on your life. You belong to him and you have a message for this world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us to understand the gravity of this message in terms of our daily lives. Lord, we meet so many people who are so broken and so destitute. Lord, we, we sometimes fail to have the words to say to these people. Lord, help us to live in the spirit with your boldness upon our lives so that in every situation and every opportunity we can give testimony to the goodness of your love, Father, and the things that you want us to share. 
Lord, we look forward to walking this walk with you, being part of this life-transforming community which has learned who we are and whose we are. Help us to recognize the anointing that is on our lives, Father, to preach the good news in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.